The following is a presentation of the Eastern Michigan Sports Network. Smith for the feet, he's to the 10, the 5, touchdown! Oh, oh, what a tackle! Evans up the middle to the 5, into the end zone, touchdown, Eastern Michigan! Straight from the 7-3-4, it's the Blue Cross Blue Shield Eastern Insider Podcast, presented by the Foling Warehouse, your weekly chance to get in on the action. Now, let's send it to the guys on the inside of it all, Greg Steiner and Tom Helmer. 2024 upon us, Tom, a new year. The podcast returns once more as we gear up for a big Monday that means one national title implications tonight that people can watch. Uh, Eastern Connection there, Washington, Eastern Michigan, lots to talk about. But more importantly, big, big basketball game coming up on Tuesday night as the chip was in town for a resurgent Stan Heath and company. It's great that Eastern beat Kent State. And some people can say, well, you know, that would have been a different team if they had Sincere Carey or, you know, this. You can play hypotheticals all you want. The fact is, Eastern was down 17. Yep. Battled all the way back, hit big shots when they needed to, and pulled it out in overtime. I think it would have been devastating to this program to go 0-2 in a week in which you played two overtime games. And some people want to go, they should actually be 2-0. They were up 14 on Bowling Green. I was going to play that devil's advocate because really they should be uh, a second half collapse because you and I called that game a week ago at the Stroh Center. Eastern controlled that game for pretty much the first 15 minutes and then uh, just too many free throws. The officials got involved. That changed a lot. But I agree, this team really could be 2-0. But they're not. They could be. Right. And they they could be 0-2. Yep. So... You should have won Bowling Green. You had that game. You really should have lost Kent State down 17. You ended up playing seven or eight minutes of really good basketball when you needed to. You stopped the turnovers. You hit some big shots. You got some steals. So I'm just happy they're at where they're at. Last year, this team won eight games. Yeah. They've already won eight. They're and, and you got a lot of Mac to play, and now you start feeling like, this is a good basketball team. I like the, the way they respond. Because you take a punch and they keep going. In past years, if things went wrong, they might have folded the tenth in and said, okay, we're going back home. Right. This year, stone cold, a freshman misses shots, comes right back, hits a three. Yeah, Osonia, and he even had an embarrassing moment where they needed to tape his knee for a second. You could tell it was uncomfortable, and he jogged down on the court and he tripped and fell in front of everybody. And got back up and kind of shook it off. But his step back, Stan Heath, and he'll talk about it in our interview in this podcast, just nice step back, jumper behind the three, just ice cold, boom, buries it. Lovejoy was great after the game because I talked to him about his running floater. I said, did you have a good feeling? He's like, this is my running floater. I don't miss that. I had no concerns when it left my hand that that was going through the net and we were going up on top. Tyson Acuff struggled immensely to begin the game, had a good amount of assists, but finally got his stroke going after the big performance he had against Bowling Green early in the week. So great things in store. Home game against Central on Tuesday. Then they're on the road on Saturday to take on the Red Hawks of Miami. Never an easy place to play in Oxford, but two very winnable games in this wild and crazy max schedule that all of a sudden you find yourself, you're three and one. It becomes quite a lot easier to, to gain confidence when you, you start off well. And Central will be more of a mental test for Eastern Michigan than a physical one 
because Central's so methodical this year. They're low scoring. They're going to use as much of that shot clock as they can. So you have to stay in position. You have to play defense longer. It's going to be that slower pace. A week ago at Bowling Green, Bowling Green wanted to run, and Eastern's like, let's do it. We'll yep. run all you want. Now you got to slow everything down, and that will be the challenge in the game against the Chippewas. And Miami kind of the same way. Watching them on Saturday, uh, Friday night when they played Toledo, they held the lead for uh, most of that, but then all of a sudden, again, Offense goes quiet, but they're a team that's going to want to keep you in the low 60s, so you just got to adjust and see how that goes. On the other basketball front, uh, women's basketball, a hard one that they took on the chin against Toledo, but people look at that score. I don't think they realize how good it is to limit Toledo to less than 50 points, though. Phenomenal job defensively. Then you look at how the women shot in that game. They shot about 25% from the field. And they just could not dial in the three-pointers. You hit a couple of those. You shoot a little better percentage. It's a much, much tighter game. I think it was a good confidence builder, uh, even though Keisha Blanton's like, I'm not into moral victory. So she didn't take a lot of joy in just being really strong defensively against Toledo. There's still work to be done there. But I think the women have played great basketball. They, too, are one-on-one in conference play. And I think it's a nice start for them. And all of a sudden, you start thinking, boy, it has been hard for this university to get to Cleveland. Now you have two teams where you think, all right, now it's a matter of positioning. Not so much will they get there, but you feel good about the product that's on the court. And we'll talk with Scott Weatherbeam, who's vice president and director of athletics in this uh, show as well. Long encompassing interview that I have with him. He talks about the change and why he felt it necessary. It wasn't because he doesn't like Fred. It wasn't because he didn't think uh, this team has talent. He thought this was a way to save this season for these student athletes who maybe just needed a different voice, a different way to do things. And you can see how the change has maybe prompted a, a bit of a spark. I absolutely agree with that. And I think the team is in a better place mentally Probably the toughest transition was for Keisha Blanton herself, who's very f- close to Fred Castro. She had an offer to be an assistant at UCF during the offseason. Would have been a great job for her. And she just said something in her gut told her, ride or die with Fred Castro and see where this season goes. So she came back. And now for the third time in her career, she's in an interim position. But she said, listen, I learned a lot the first time. I learned a lot the second time. That's helped me be better the third time. And she's also got this strong network of coaches. Keisha Blanton is one that went to the University of Toledo, coached high school basketball while she was going to Toledo. And when she graduated, people were telling her, you'd be a great basketball coach. She ends up as a grad assistant down at Florida State. She's got a strong network down there. And those people, a couple of Big Ten coaches, some others, have been on the phone with her almost every day and some with a checklist like, listen, here's what you need to do as an interim head coach to get this ship turned around. And it's been very good for her. She said the very thir- first 36 hours were, were brutal for her because emotionally it was tough on her to see Fred let go and her have to take over. And she's like, all right, I have this room now of student athletes that I need to steer the ship. And so she's in a really good spot mentally and she's got a great support group and, and she wants to be a head coach someday. So she's hoping, you know, maybe knock the interim tag off this one and be it here. And if you do a great showing, why not? But it's uh it's been a nice turnaround for the women's program. Well, this guy's the limit. I mean, we saw a guy who was the only other interim coach here in program history and Shane Klipfel. Of course, 
it worked out okay for him because then eventually he uses this job to parlay himself to be the Western Michigan head coach, and he's still there all these years later. So it works out uh, well for him. You look at 2024, it's an exciting year in a lot of ways for Eastern Michigan athletics. We saw a big check come in right before the, the year flipped. We got a, a golf facility opening. You already saw the renovations in this building. What is it that you kind of are most looking forward about this 2024 campaign? I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing how both both basketball programs progress. I'm looking to see baseball under new leadership, how they grow on the baseball diamond. I'm looking forward to the changes that are going to be happening at Rynearson Stadium as after spring ball, they're going to get some new turf and the changes that are going on over there. There's a lot of growth an opportunity going on right now at Eastern Michigan. And I feel like even just a few years ago, there was a certain bar that the programs tried to hit and they've all raised the bar. And I think the expectations for the university and what is defined as success are much higher than they were five years ago. And I think all of that is exciting. One of the things that, that we talked to Scott a lot about is how maybe the NCAA needs to look at things in terms of name, image, likeness, and, and evening the playing field, because right now we know what happens. There are kids that go someplace else just because they can make more money. And that robs and kind of changes the student-athlete experience, because you don't get these groups that stay together like you used to. I mean, think back to that Earl Boykins, Derek Dial, all those guys went right. on to great things. But in this day and era, that would never happen again for multiple, multiple years. He talks about that. And we also talk about how maybe opting out and the transfer portal has to change. If you were uh, the NCAA commissioner sitting in Indianapolis, is there a magic wand on how to fix this? Well, the problem is where the windows are on everything. Look at Florida State, a team that went 13-0 and ended up playing just a lot of young people in a bowl game and got absolutely trucked in that game. People moving on, people opting out. We saw it with Ohio State, guys opting out in that. So now you're getting into these bowl games. We saw it with Eastern Michigan. You're starting quarterbacks not there. You're starting linebackers not there. All these guys going into the portal and switching and moving on a new spots who really don't have a choice because the portal's open. So you got to make your move and you want to be on the front end of the portal when offers are there and not the back end when there's not so many offers or you can't find that slot to get into and you find yourself in a bad position. Also with NIL and all that stuff, at a certain point, players are going to have to play out that contract. If you hire someone to build your house and they quit after they're 90% done, that's not what you hired them for. So if you're going to give a player a truck or a certain amount of money and then it comes bowl time and they figure, well, this isn't the best bowl game for me or I want to go to the end, and they opt out, then the people that are providing that money feel shorted on that end. So there definitely needs to be a fix. I, I think at some point it's just got to get to a point where you play at a certain level, you get paid a certain amount. This free shooting NIL stuff where – you, uh, it's a couple million for a quarterback or this or that. And there's schools that can afford stuff and schools that can't. I, I don't understand the competitive balance and all that. Right. When you're hearing the rumors that Ohio State could be play, paying a wide receiver as much as he'd earn as an NFL rookie, that's not a sustainable process because you can't. Eastern Michigan doesn't spend that much on its entire athletic program, let alone one player. Right. And now I saw, like, Michigan playing tonight against Washington. They have an NIL group, and now they've formed another arm of that 
called Those Who Stay, where now that'll be money for guys they're worried about hitting the portal or going to the NFL, getting them more money now so they'll stay and play another year. So essentially, yep. college football has become pro football. And the imbalance on everything else is yep. you got these mega conferences. The Big Ten's going to be massive. If, if Michigan or Washington doesn't win a national title tonight, they may never again. It's going to be so hard. Yeah. You you look at the schedules. Like Michigan plays Texas, USC, Washington, Oregon, Ohio State next year. How are you you're going to you're going to run the table? Then go to a 12 team playoff and get. The, it's going to be much harder right. for teams to stay on top, especially with everything you and I just talked about. We could switch teams every year. There's Good. no penalty there. No penalty. Who's now got the most money? It's open season all the time. As we close out our segment. We have to ask, what's your prediction for tonight's game? I mean, we know the local connection. We know the EMU connection. Kalen DeBoer, Ryan Grubb, Shaq Van, all those guys at Washington. Who are you picking? Uh, I guess Michigan feels like a team of destiny. Though I've watched a lot of Washington football, and I feel Penix is a tremendous quarterback. I don't think Michigan's played a quarterback quite like him. I don't know as he's played a defense quite like Michigan. Uh Spreads like four and a half, but I think it's going to come right down. It'll be as tight as the Rose Bowl, I think. You got a prediction? Uh, I'm I'm going Washington. That's just because you don't want Michigan. Uh, I really like <laughs> Washington. <laughs> and uh, the aspect that Kalen DeBoer can become just the second ever former EMU football assistant coach to win a national title as a head coach. Who was the first? Lloyd Carr. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Lloyd Carr was the head coach. And that was a shared one. Correct. This is an outright. So he has the chance to do something. that. Plus, we go there next year. All those. I I think it's going to be a tight game. Uh, My worry is how much Washington's O-line can stop Michigan's defensive one. Because if they are picking them off like they did Jalen Milrow, but for Alabama, it's going to be a long night for those in purple. Yeah. I think it'll be a fantastic game. And uh, my brother's down there. He... He took his daughter to Alabama, where she goes to school, and then they're just deciding move her stuff in, and then just continue on to Houston and watch the game. Yeah, the Since, average ticket was like uh, two grand. Whew. That's uh, some cash. Somebody told me though the other day that like uh, Texas and Bama, there was a, a short drop for a while because those folks unloaded their tickets real quick. Yeah, because they didn't obviously they both thought they were going to be there. Either way. I expect a, a great game. Uh, I think we'll both uh, be glued to our television, even though I may have to be keeping my eyes open. Because, what again, I asked Scott Weatherby this. Why do we have to kick so late? I, I know it's West. It's, not, it's a Having, 7.45 okay, kick, but, which could be worse. I the know, Lions playoff game is going to be at 8. I know. I know people I can love, barely stay awake against the Dolphins' bills last back night. Back when you were living on the West Coast, it was probably terrific. But here, uh, It's like, fantastic. Yeah. When I lived in Denver, like... You got NFL football at 11, not one. Monday night football at dinner. Like, it was great. This is a tough time zone to stay up late and watch sports. Tough time zone. We appreciate you listening to our podcast. As always, it's the Blue Cross Blue Shield Eastern Insider presented by the Foling Warehouse. Are you ready? Ready to find the right care that works for you? Care that connects you to what you need anytime, anywhere, and fits best with your lifestyle? Whether it's in person or in your pajamas, online or over the phone. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan connects you to the care you need when you need it most. With the largest network of doctors and hospitals, an easy-to-use mobile app, and a 24-hour nurse line. 
because we're always ready to help. Learn more about Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan at bcbsm.com. It's here. Bowling Warehouse. And sports will never be the same. Bowling combines the best of bowling and football. But you don't have to be good at either to have a great time at the Foling Warehouse. Ipsy Ann Arbor's newest place to play is now open. 20 lanes, two bars, over 100 beers. The Foling Warehouse at the corner of Washtenaw Golfside in Ypsilanti, where everyone comes to play. There's only one place in the state of Michigan that takes you straight inside the locker room. And that's the Eastern Insider Podcast. Your chance to get in on the action, bringing you more coverage than any other program in the mitten. Well, Coach, there's no championships for moral victories. So how big was it to win that last game? You go to overtime in two straight games. What does that do for the psyche of you, the staff, the team, to come away with that victory and be one-on-one in conference play? Well, you know, we obviously we were a little bit uh, down from the from our first game, but I, I love the way our guys responded, you know, and that uh, shows you a little bit about, you know, who those guys are and um, that they, you know, took it up a notch. And, you know, to be down 17 against your defending champs and uh, to come out after halftime and we really didn't give have a great start, but just chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. And I thought our execution, um, you know, in the last seven, eight minutes of that game was phenomenal. And then we made some great hustle plays, just diving on the floor, getting loose balls, uh, getting defensive stops, getting steals. Uh, you know, it's just really fun to watch, you know, the guys uh, just really come together, connected. And, and as you mentioned, you know, when you win a game like that, it does a lot for your confidence. I think our players know like, hey, you know what? Uh, we, we got a chance and we just got to keep getting better. We got we got to stack on top of what we just did and not let down because, you know, every game is going to be a different game. Every game is going to be a war. Well, with that, Let's talk about Central Michigan and what you're facing in this Chippewas team. If you look statistically, it seems like you have advantage in most categories. But, of course, playing the game and what's on paper are two different stories. Absolutely. And then you got to throw in the fact that there's a little bit of, a, you know, Eastern Central, a little bit of wire, a little history and stuff there. So, you know, they'll be up, and they played us really well. Every time we played them, it's been we, – we've, we've come out on top, but everyone's been a dogfight. You know, we've been – I think we were down last year around 10. We only played them one time and came back to win in the second half as well too. But a uh, scrappy team, team that's going to play really hard, a lot of new pieces from last year. Uh, Pritchard is a transfer from Tulsa. He's a – very shifty guard. He can really get his own shot, makes a lot of baskets. Uh, Taylor's been there a little bit around. Brian Taylor, a Detroit kid, very athletic and really rebounds the ball, can shoot the three. And Harding's just a, boy, he's a man-child inside. Like, he's a guy that's really physical. And so, um, again, a scrappy team. They're going to play hard. They, they're in, in conference play, they're one of the top teams in steals. So they get some offense from their defense. Uh, their pace of play is a little bit slow. So uh, we can't get frustrated with that. Uh, we got to make sure, like, hey, we, you know, we're going to guard. We have to guard through the whole clock. We got to have some discipline on that end, and then we can't be, you know, so excited because we had to guard for 30 seconds that all of a sudden we just come down and just take a bad shot. So we got to have some discipline on that end too. Yeah, that really is the challenge, isn't it? Because you you go back to your first MAC game against Bowling Green. They wanted to run, and you guys are like, you want to run? We'll run with you all day. It's a whole different game when a team's very yeah. methodical and you kind of have to stay in what you're doing defensively. It's more of a mental challenge than physical, Absolutely. isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, I think, um, you know, when when you face Central, um, it's it's just going to be a grind. You know, it's, it's, it's possession by possession. And, um, you know, we can't let our guard down. And uh, I thought the intensity level that we played with really in both our games was the key. 
And we got to have that same intensity level. And we can't all of a sudden, because, hey, they're grinding it down, all of a sudden we're not pressuring the ball. We're not in our helps. We're not in our rotations. We're not flying around and being active. So we got to have that same mentality like, hey, we're going to be the aggressive team and uh, we're going to take you out of some things that you want to do. And um, I think we got to just keep building on what we're doing. We're doing a really good job of really, I think, turning the corner in a lot of different ways. And when you really look at it, um, you know, we had one of our best games against a win against Kent State, and we're still not playing our best basketball. Our best player, I don't even think Tyson's playing with level we know he can play at. And I think he's going to get going. We're starting to see other guys step up. Connor Servin was terrific. Orlando Lovejoy just having him back. And now he's slowly getting into a rhythm now where he was so effective in that last game. And then we're getting better bench play. Guys off the bench contributing, whether Yusef's now came out, came off the bench. Good minutes. Jalen Billingsley gave us some good minutes as well, too. And Arne. Uh, came off the bench and obviously made some huge plays for a freshman. Well, for a player in, at, at any level, but as a freshman, it was really special. Stan, not only does he make a huge play, but he comes out and hits a couple big threes. Then he missed a couple badly. He didn't let that shake his confidence. He dialed right back in. And for a freshman, you think to yourself, this guy's got ice water in his veins because a lot of guys would be rattled after a couple bad misses. Didn't seem to affect him, and he comes up big down the stretch. Yeah, I, I looked at that last shot he took, um, the one that sent the game into overtime when he he came off, um, you know, kind of a, a stagger screen action. And, I mean, he had the shot fake, step back, and, and it was just money. I mean, it was just all net. And, uh, you know, to see a guy do that, to have the ice veins to do that. And he's a shooter, and I, and I, I really encourage our, our shooters, guys like that, that – Hey, you got to have short-term memory. Right. Like you can't remember what happened in the last shot. You got to focus in on the next shot. Ice water probably runs through the veins of Lovejoy as well. Because after the game, I had asked him, "Did you know it was going to go?" He goes, "Yeah, that's my running jumper, that floater." He goes, "As soon as it released my hand, <laughs> I knew we had that shot." He's another one that has really developed a lot over the last year. Yeah, he's he's a dominant guard in the paint, and you can see, you know, like we we play games in Michigan where he posts it up, and but that is really his go-to shot, that little floating shot. He gets in the paint, uh, he can make that shot at a really really high level. So it was something we designed. We knew Tyson was going to get a lot of attention, uh, and we knew that uh, you know he was capable of getting his own shot as well too. How have you felt defensively about your play in the paint so far in the MAC? Better, much better. I mean, much better. So the rebounding is pretty solid. It's not, you know, I'd like to be a little bit better. I think we're minus one or two. We out rebounded Bowling Green. We were leading against Kent in the first half, and uh, they got us in the second half. But I thought our activity, we went from a team in a non conference play where we were. Um, probably at the bottom of the league in terms of steals and deflections to now we're at the, one of the top teams in the league in the first two games. And we've created some offense from those situations. So we got to keep that activity up. I like that. I mean, teams are, you know, probably shooting a solid percentage, but not a great percentage, threes and twos against us. Um, but when you can turn people over, when you can be solid on the glass, that all kind of negates and, and, and equalizes uh, those situations. Stan, I did check with the conference, too, and they said if you just want to play 40-minute games this week, that's fine. Not every game has to go 45, 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I know blood pressure is something that we all get to get tested for, so we're going to try to do a better job with that. Stan Heath, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Good luck this week against Central and Miami. Okay, thanks, Tom. This episode of the Eastern Insider Podcast is brought to you by National Trails Bus. Safety, comfort, reliability. Come ride with us, as well as Trinity Health. Trinity Health is the preferred healthcare provider of EMU Athletics. Get top-tiered orthopedic and spine care to get you back in the game, as well as standard printing and design, the standard of excellence in design and print for small business.
You're listening to the Blue Cross Blue Shield Eastern Insider Podcast, presented by the Folding Warehouse, the only show that brings you all things Eastern all the time. Now let's get back to the action with Greg Steiner and Tom Helmer. It was a tremendous close of December for Eastern Michigan Athletics. Lots of things that they were able to get done in a very short period of time. And we're lucky enough to be joined by the man who makes a lot of it happen, EMU Vice President and Director of Athletics, Scott Weatherby. What a month of December. Able to get some big donations, get the second phase of the championship building plan approved by the Board of Regents, hired some coaches, had a bowl in there. What a way to close 2023. Yeah, it was a uh, well, happy new year first and uh, excited to really turn the calendar. I know um, the last, I'd say, middle of November through December uh, was kind of a whirlwind, especially on the on the fundraising front, trying to navigate, you know, this 2.0 that we're championship building plan uh, that we're working on and really excited about it. We have uh, just people that care about this place and uh, have been very generous and, um, you know, I had always told Max Crosby, I said, if, I, if, if you could help us um, and make a commitment that other people will fall in line with it because other people want to be with, with, with other champions and people that want to help uh, our program, and that's what happened. You know? and, and for him to come and do that during his Monday night game against the Lions and taking the time to present a check, and um, he, was, he was even more excited to give than for us to receive. It was amazing. I mean, he was just so excited about it. And, um, and so that started the ball rolling. Then obviously, Phil Incarnati has just been um, a rock here. Um, somebody that, you know, his kids got their degrees here. He got his degrees. He was on our Board of Regents. And uh, for him wanting to commit and then getting him to a number that he was comfortable with that could really help us. Um, but the president and I really wanted to be able to um, put his name on our Student Athlete Performance Center. And that meant a lot to us to recognize and thank him and his family. And so, um, you know, by his total amount towards the championship building plan is in excess of $4 million, um, which is totally worthy of having his name on, on our building. And so looking forward to turning that over this year and uh, recognizing him at a football game. Uh, this fall and, and, and making that the Incarnati Athletic Center. Um, and then we actually have two track donors that we did just get an agreement signed in the last few days. So that announcement will be coming as well. We had that in the works in December um, and finally have gotten all the paperwork done. And so we're really excited to announce that. Um, so in total, we're going to have a, a really good number here for our championship building. Plan. When you look at the championship building plan, the first incarnation was just kind of student-athlete focused to, to get football, that end zone building. Here it continues to touch a lot of different people. It's going to touch not only football, but track, baseball, and, and others because of it. When do you kind of see – we know that the, the field replacement will happen soon after spring ball, but yeah. when do you start seeing the other pieces fall in place? Yeah, the timeline, we actually have a meeting. Um, you know, we're, we're meeting this week, next week, uh, to really go through all of, uh, all of that and – uh, the timeline is my hope is that you will see come June, um, you will no longer see a track in our football stadium. You will only see turf. Um, and I'm excited about that part. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, we had approval a year and a half ago to replace the dome fabric. And um, because of supply chain demands and timing of stuff, we had to wait a year. So we resurfaced the indoor, um, but we hadn't done the, the um, 
the actual fabric. And so that's all getting replaced after we finish the turf on the field. So at the same time in the summer, you're going to see the, the dome come down for two months and we'll have new fabric go up for um, getting just in time for um, summer camp and stuff in August. And then um, the track, building a new track um, um, just, I guess, east of um, the Gervin Center and between the softball, the Rec IM softball yeah, fields. Kind of and, where the old yeah, Westview Apartments. Yeah, and, and where Westview Apartments, um, building a new track there. Uh, the plan is to start breaking ground uh, there in April, uh, April, May, depending on snow and frost and everything, and having that completed uh, in the fall of next year, so fall of 24. And so these are a lot of projects that we're working on. And then the third part, so uh, a new track and getting the old track removed and resurfacing Ryan Nearson and getting the fabric done in the dome. And then O-Strike Stadium, um, we, need, we, we need to do some stuff there for baseball. Yep. And it's one of the sports that since I've been here, I'm a baseball guy. I mean, I grew up playing baseball my whole life. And it's the one sport that I probably haven't um, given enough attention or, or, or done some stuff. And so finally, we're, we're going to... Um, have the opportunity to fix those strike stadium up a little bit, make it a lot more presentable for, for not only our student athletes, but for our fans and stuff. And, and then we're working on partnering with the Northwoods league for them to come in 2025. And so we're finalizing uh, all that paperwork with them and they will be a part of that enhancements and upgrades. And we'll kind of work together um, in tandem to make that happen. So those types of announcements and stuff are coming here soon as well. And so just really excited about all that project. So that's kind of the phase two that we're working on. Here with EMU Director of Athletics, Scott Weatherby. Uh, you look at this new world of, of athletics that we live in and the university really wants you to do third party partnerships, donors, all that to, to start getting facilities built. You look at it, you've built the Incarnati Athletic Center. You're about to open the golf, Game Above Golf facility and you've got these new facilities online. How much does that worry you in this new era where name, image, likeness, all that, does it make me start getting donors to worry about, I want to send money to directly to the student athletes rather than helping improve the overall athletic look? You know, I have not really worried about that. I, I think um, I think the thing that I focused on the most um, the last five or six years, the best thing I can do for a university is fundraise um, and, and get the resources that our, our coaches and our student athletes need to be successful. Um, I felt like we were behind in a lot of areas uh, when I arrived. I feel like we're catching up. I mean, we have the locker rooms we need. We have the facilities we need. Um, we're, we're finishing up, um, you know, and getting it to where we can be competitive in that world. The problem is, is we move the needle to catch up with the, our peers in that area where they've taken off is they've got NIL and they have what Alston money or academic awards um, that some of the schools are doing that we're competing against. And so, you know, when we're out recruiting, um, there are times where um, somebody may have an NIL offer at another Mac school that we can't offer or don't have. Uh, and so we've got to work on that, that part of it now. And you're right, you do worry about, you know, is somebody going to um, not give to our projects that we're building resources and doing things for our department versus putting money in our student athletes pocket. And so we've got to figure out that balance and there are creative ways um, to do that and trying to partner with businesses because really, if you truly use name image likeness, why not have local businesses use our student athletes to help build their brand? Yep. And that doesn't cost me anything. They're, 
that business is not going to give to me to help build a building. That business wants to support our student athletes, but they also want to draw traffic and get people to go to there. Um, so they're, we're going to work on that. I mean, that's been our focus now this coming spring is having the opportunity for our student athletes to sell their jerseys and be able to um, actually pocket some money when they see somebody wearing their jersey, something we haven't been able to offer. So we're getting ready to roll that out. Um, and we have an opportunity where local businesses can go into an exchange, an NIL exchange for Eastern Michigan, where they can um, interact with our student athletes and actually say, hey, will you come do a signing at, at our place or try to draw traffic or whatever it may be. So um, I'm not too concerned about that. Um, what I'm more concerned about is that we need to do something. We can't be, our NIL arrangements can't be at zero. Um, we, we need to be able to help our student athletes uh, and figure that out. And I think that's also one of the big topics about the whole bowl season as a whole. Of course, Eastern Michigan had a great bowl experience at the 68 Ventures Bowl outside of the game outcome and, and what happened after. But you, you look at the bowl season in general, people point to the transfer portal and opt-outs and all that. As an AD collective group, how much does the NCAA maybe need to stay to take a good look at at what that period looks like because it really did affect a lot of games in, in different ways. Yeah, w- without a doubt, I mean, we've got to do something as administrators in the NCAA, working with the NCAA and the conferences. We, we've got to make a change to whether it's the football calendar or or something. I mean, I mean, even um, watching some of the other games, even outside of ours. I mean, ours obviously was was uh, we, we did not play well, and we had a, a lot of people not play. Yep. And, um, but so did a Florida state. And I mean, I think of Ohio state and some of these, there's a lot of bad bowl games. Yep. Um, there's a lot of good bowl games, the ones that you could find a way to keep your team together or, um, they weren't having as, as many portal issues or NIL issues, um, and opt outs. And, uh, that's a challenge for us, uh, across the board. I, I think changing the calendar is important because if you think about it, our coaches were trying to recruit. They put together one of the best classes we've had. We had 31 kids sign just before the bowl game. And so they're dealing with trying to get all these um, you know, transfers in, and we're trying to get freshmen in, and we're trying to get this signed. And we've got 20 of those, roughly you know, 17 to 20 of those kids will be here this week. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's unheard of. I mean, normally we have six or seven come in early. Yeah. And so we're stacking it up and, and ready to go. And I'm excited about that. But they had to work on that while also trying to game plan and get ready with kids that haven't really played as much. Um, and you had your injuries and, uh, you know, your best running backs out and, and you your don't have your starting quarterback yeah. and you have your linebackers. I mean, it just um, you have all that happen. And then but that's because of the portal yep. and that's because of, uh, you know, opting out for whether you think you can make the NFL or, or not, too. And. Um, so we've got to figure that out. You know, early signing is in December. Are we better off waiting until February? So then that's one less thing you're focused on. Do you move when the transfer portal opens and closes? Um, so again, you're not just pushing everything into December. The difference here is, you know, semester starts in January and you got to give kids options and you want to allow them to have those options, um, especially, you know, if there's coaching changes or whatever. So I don't have the answer to it. I just know that we need to figure out a way to address it. And, and I'm certainly um, would be love to be a part of that conversation and try to figure that out. A few more minutes here with EMU Vice President and Director of Athletics, Scott Weatherby. Uh, it was also big news on the coaching front. You were able to hire a new women's soccer coach after Scott Hall's retirement. Taylor Clark comes in, has been a guy who's been around the Mid-American Conference, has been a head coach. And then on the women's basketball side of it, you, you decide to make the change there. 
Keisha Blanton has come in. Uh, as we're taping this interview, Eastern has rolled off three straight wins on the women's basketball side. Renewed energy there. Walk us through both of those on how you, you really see student athletes help change and, and give you input on what they wanted to see too. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, you try to have exit interviews, um, you know, at, at the end of every season and try to get a feel for, you know, what is the student athlete experience like? And, um, you know, and then, you know, having the conversation with Scott uh, Hall and him and uh, retiring uh, this fall, you know, after 25 seasons and he did just such a great job, great human being, uh, love his family and um, but to have the opportunity to have Taylor and his family here, um, we were real excited. I mean, his wife is from Celine, yeah, um, and so they got family right up the road. Um, you know, unbeknownst to me at the time, his his wife actually played for our volleyball coach for Kevin Foman uh, at Lake Erie. So it was it's kind of funny the connections that we have, and then but excited about kind of a new energy, uh, mm-hmm. a new voice, and sometimes that's what's needed. Uh, we have a great nucleus and a great core in soccer. I felt really good about um, whoever we transitioned to um, would have an opportunity to win right away. And so I'm excited about just kind of having a new voice there and seeing if that can't spur, similar to what's happened in basketball, right, with the women's basketball program. I am never one that wants to make a change in the middle of the season. It's something that it actually bothers me when people don't give somebody the opportunity. Um, and for some reason, I felt really strongly that um, we were just not heading in the right direction. And most people know Fred was one of my favorite coaches. I mean, I love Coach Castro. I still talk to him and his wife and uh, his family. They're great people. Um, he's been very professional about it. He understands the business. And I told our team, I felt like I was kind of giving up on them if I didn't make a change. Yeah. And I felt like here's a chance for them to reset. They are more talented than what we had shown when we were one and seven. And now... I trust in uh, Keisha. I trust in this coaching staff. Keisha had done it um, before uh, at Oakland, uh, had been an interim for a whole year. And so this is not new to her. And it gives her an opportunity and our assistant coaches to rally around each other. And I've talked to them about being one heartbeat and trying to make it so we're one together in this. And, um, and that I was, and I was basically telling them, I'm all in on you by making this change. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you pushed and, all yeah, your chips I, I, in. I did, and, and I took the chance, and so far, they've played really well, um, and I've been really excited what we've seen, and they've had a new energy, and I told them, you gotta love basketball. They hadn't, it didn't look like they were enjoying the game as much, and, and it's tough when you start getting down yep. 20 or 30 points, and teams that you shouldn't be getting down to, and so, made the adjustment, and, and I've been really excited. Uh, I appreciate Keisha being willing to step up, and the rest of the staff, they've been great. They keep me, uh, they, they text with me quite a bit and stay in touch, and um, I'm just really excited about uh, the opportunity for them, because, I know that we we have a chance. We should get to Cleveland, ha- have that opportunity, and then you never know once you get there uh, what can happen and who will step up and play. And so excited about that that opportunity. That's why you play the games. You yep. want to win on the on the court and on the floor. Speaking of, uh, and we'll get you out of here on this an opportunity on Monday night that the eyes of the football world will be on the the college football playoffs. Of course, the team just down the road uh, is the behemoth in Washington County in a lot of ways, but. Eastern Michigan connections all abound on the Washington sideline. Not only will EMU play them next year in Seattle, they've got six people on their staff who just a de- less than a decade ago were here. Yeah. What does that say about the rise that somebody can quickly have to go from an NAIA to an assistant coach at Eastern Michigan to now being one game away from a winning a national title? 
Yeah, it's been a it's amazing to watch uh, Coach DeBoer's like path and knowing that you know just um, you know what eight years ago in 2016 he was here, uh, helped to go lead us to uh, Bahamas Bowl as our offensive coordinator, and uh, and then um, knowing that they have either five or six Eastern Michigan uh, connections in their strength staff and you know Shaq Van is there and. Um, you know, so it's exciting to kind of be from afar. I mean, we all root and, you know, coach Creighton stays in touch with them and, 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 and talks to them quite a bit. And it's just that rise in the trajectory, it can happen, right. And you hire good people and you let them do their job and then they have the opportunity to move up. And it just shows you that, you know, coach had a good eye for talent on that one. Um, (laughs) and, and it's happened though, if you look at, even within our department, we have a lot of people at big time universities that have used Eastern Michigan as a stepping stone. And, and that's an okay, I'm, I'm good with that, right? You want people to come in, be very successful, give us everything you got. And then if you have the opportunity to move on, that means you've done something really special here and helped elevate us. And so, um, you know, and I'm excited. It's funny, we did this deal like four or five years ago um, to go to Washington, had no idea that right. you know Kalen would be there and that oh, we'd have so many connections. We wouldn't know that they would be playing for the national title the year before. Um, I just hope uh, it's a great game. Obviously, with uh, being in the back door uh, backyard here with Michigan, uh, excited to see what happens Monday night. Um, and then I hope a lot of them choose to go to the NFL, and uh, we have an opportunity to go in and, and shock the world next year uh, when, when we head to Seattle. It'll be fun. <laughs> the worst thing I wish is they just would move the game time up. Staying up for that uh, game was pretty hard, especially knowing the next morning you had to get back to work. Yeah, no, exactly exactly right. I mean, I, I struggled um, with the uh, Texas-Washington yeah. game and all those. And so it's like, and then I'm curious what our game time will be once we go out to, to Washington as well, because I'd rather play a noon kick out yes. there so we can get home at a reasonable time. But Scott, we'll, we'll pre- see. appreciate your time. As always, keep up the great work, and we'll talk to you very soon. Awesome. Thanks. Happy New Year, everybody. There's only one podcast in Washtenaw County that takes you inside the athletic department every single week. The Eastern Insider Podcast. Your home for all things Eastern all the time. This has been another edition of the Blue Cross Blue Shield Eastern Insider Podcast, powered by Learfield. Tune in every Monday for new episodes all year long. And don't forget to visit emueagles.com slash podcasts, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or your home smart device for all of our episodes on demand.